Well, join me in John chapter 13 as we are bringing this chapter to a close and also this short series that we have entitled The Wonders of the Cross, John chapter 13. And we are focusing our attention this morning on verses 34 and 35. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And as you're turning there, you remember from the last two weeks, as verse 31 opens this section, that Jesus is beginning to prepare his apostles for his coming betrayal and death and burial that are only hours away. This is preparation that will last and continue through chapter 16. And it will culminate in Jesus' high priestly prayer in chapter 17, when the Son of God asks his Father to accomplish everything that he has promised for his followers. So starting in chapter 31 through chapter 17, this is Jesus' long goodbye to his apostles his final farewell discourse. And Jesus starts his goodbye where he must. In order to prepare them for his coming death, he first must explain what his coming death is going to do, why it's important, not the physical part. He's already explained that. But the spiritual part, why must Jesus die? the theological implications of what he is about to accomplish. And so we have called them the breathtaking wonders of Christ's cross. And there are three of them that Jesus mentions, the breathtaking wonders of Christ's cross. We've looked at the first two already. Wonder number one was found in verses 31 and 32. The first wonder of Christ's cross is that the cross is the greatest display of Trinitarian glory. It's reciprocal glory. Verse 31, therefore, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. The cross being the path Christ must travel to receive the glory of the Messiah, the exaltation of the throne. And God, the Father, is glorified in him. The cross being the greatest revelation of the Father's glorious attributes, his justice and love, his compassion and holiness, his grace and wrath. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, if the Son glorifies the Father through death, then God the Father will glorify him in himself. The father will exalt his son to his rightful throne. So the cross is not primarily about us. The cross is primarily about the father being glorified through his son's submission to the cross. It's about the son being exalted because he submits to the cross. The cross is the greatest display of Trinitarian glory. That led into what we looked at last week, wonder number two. Wonder number two, the cross is the only sacrifice for sin God will accept. 
the cross is the only sacrifice for sin God will accept. This is why Jesus tells his apostles that he must go to his cross alone. That's verse 33, notice the end. Where I am going, speaking of his cross, where I am going, you cannot, it is impossible for you to come. This is where our journey together ends, right here. What I'm about to do and where I'm about to go, I must do and I must go alone. It's the path only I can walk. It's the cup only I can drink. It's the death only I can die. Why? Because it is the substitution for sin only I can make. Look at verse 37. Peter said to him, I will lay down my life for you. I'll substitute my life, my death for yours, Jesus. If someone's gonna die tonight, Jesus, let it be me, not you. To which Jesus then says, verse 38, will you lay down your life on my behalf? Will you lay down your life, sacrifice your life, substitute your life for me, the implication is you can't do this, Peter. You can't die for me. I must die for you. The sheep cannot lay down his life for the shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's all about the exclusivity of the cross where Jesus is headed. It's the only sacrifice for sin God will accept. Which leads then to this morning and the final wonder of Christ's cross. And this wonder comes in the form of a command, a duty. And it's sandwiched between the first two wonders. It's emphasizing its significance here. The command is found in verses 34 and 35. Here's the flow. If it is true that the cross is the greatest display of Trinitarian glory, if that is true, and if it is true that the cross is the only sacrifice for sin God will accept, then the cross must, mark it, it must affect us. It must change us. It must define who we are as God's people and who we are as Christ's church. And it must define how we bring this message of the cross to this world. Here's the third wonder. The cross is the foundation of the church's unity and mission. The cross is the foundation of the church's unity and mission. Start in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. There's the unity of the church. The church is a community created by the cross. And thus the church is to be a people who love one another because of the cross. We must love one another like Jesus loved us as he went to the cross. That's verse 34. 
But then that leads into the church's mission in verse 35. By this, by what, Jesus? By the church's cross-imitating love. By this, all men, this is now speaking of unbelievers. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the mission of the church. Christ's call to us is to distinguish ourselves from the world by one main, primary, overarching attribute. And that is an interpersonal love with fellow believers. And in so doing, when we do that, if we do that, we will verify to the world the transforming power and the absolute truthfulness of Christ's saving cross. This is the point of verses 34 through 35. The cross is the foundation of the church's unity and mission. So let's unpack each of these. Begin with the church's unity, the cross being the foundation of the church's unity. Back to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This will be a command that Jesus reiterates throughout this final farewell. It's going to drive this home on multiple occasions. Look over to chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment. Boil it all down to one thing. This is my commandment that you love one another. Verse 17 of chapter 15. This I command you that you love one another. And it's a command so essential, John will repeatedly circle back to this in his letters that he writes. He'll write 1 John, that letter to the church, he'll write it 60 years later. And you tell me what's on John's mind. 1 John 2.7. I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, a commandment you've already heard from Christ. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. I'll repeat that in chapter three, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, from Christ, that we should love one another. Repeated in verse 23. This is his commandment, Christ's commandment, that we love one another just as he commanded us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Verse 11, Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the letter to the church. But then 2 John, he writes a letter to an individual. He says, I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we what? Love one another. So the question is this, do you think Jesus' command in John 13 affected John? Permeates everything he writes. I wanna ask the question a little different though. Let's make it more applicational. Do you think John, as he surveyed the church landscape in his day, 
And as he sits down to write the gospel, the letters, do you think John was satisfied with the love the church had for one another? Think he's satisfied with that? John mentions love 42 times in his three letters. 42 times, three letters, a whopping seven chapters. 42 times he mentions love. Do you think it's because John is satisfied with the church's love? Or do you think he, was, he looked out and saw the church was missing something, perhaps? Well, let's turn that same question to us. Are we satisfied with the love EBC has for one another? Let's make it more personal. Are you satisfied with your love for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, in this church? And I hope nobody says, yes, I'm satisfied. I got this. I hope no one says that. Why? Because back to verse 34, the standard of our love for one another is what? It's Christ's cross. That's the standard. Again, verse 34, and Jesus calls his command to love a new commandment, a new commandment. But if you know your Bible, this is not the first time there's a commandment to love someone. It's not the first time. This isn't new. Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor. Now remember this phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not new to say love someone. Leviticus 19.34, the stranger who resides with you, you shall love him, again this phrase, as yourself. The newness, the newness of Jesus' command is not in the command itself. The newness is the model and the measure for this love. In the Old Testament, the model, the measure, you love others as yourself. But now Jesus transcends that idea and according to Jesus, the model and the measure of our love is to be nothing less than the sacrificing love that Jesus has shown us. That's the difference. That's the newness. Love one another even as I have, even as I have loved you. Jesus says, I'm the model and I'm the measure of your love for others, one another. Do you ever read some of those verses in the Bible and you just wish it wasn't stated the way it was stated? Just a little bit too difficult. This takes the command to love to an entirely different plane, demands an entirely different depth. Think of the hymns we sing. We sang some this morning. Love so amazing, so divine. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Amazing love, how can it be? How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me? How deep, how wide, how long, how vast the love of Jesus. How sure, how sweet, how strong, how vast his love for us. Think of all of those hymns we sing 
all of those lofty ways we speak of Christ's love for us. And Jesus says, that is the love. That is the love we are to have for one another. He's the model and he's the measure. Again, the question, do you think John was satisfied with the love he saw among those early churches? Are we satisfied right now with our love for one another here? Now, specifically, what is Jesus commanding? What is Jesus commanding from his apostles? What is supposed to characterize us as God's people? First of all, he's commanding a selfless love. It's clear from the context, a sacrificial love. He's talking about going to the cross, sacrificing himself. Peter, you can't sacrifice yourself for me. I need to sacrifice myself for you. I need to substitute myself for you. It's a dying love, sacrificing love. It's completely contrary to the selfish love of our day. In our day, love is only given when you can get something from it. We only offer love when it costs us very little. But for Jesus, this love is gonna cost him everything, everything. And he's our measure. Second, Christ is talking about a love that works to its own hurt. Works to its own hurt for the sake of others. Third, he's talking about a love that takes action. It doesn't wait. It doesn't wait. It takes action. It gives itself away. Notice the question that I asked. Are you satisfied with your love for someone else? I did not ask, are you satisfied with their love for you? It doesn't work that way. It starts with you, with us. We give ourselves away. Fourth, Christ is talking about a love that is patient. Patient. Patience that Jesus has shown his apostles for the last three years. He's also talking about a humble love. Others oriented. It's the application Paul makes. Philippians chapter two. Paul says, with humility of mind... Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Again, that's one of those passages we read where like, well, Paul, you've gone a little bit too far. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but I love my personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the command. That's the call. Well, who's the model? What's the measure It's Christ. First, when he left heaven for earth, have this attitude, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Well, what did he do? He emptied himself. He incarnated himself. The measure, the model is Christ leaving heaven for earth. But then it goes on, the measure and model is that Christ humbled himself even unto death. Again, based upon the cross. It's the humble, others-oriented love of Christ to his own hurt. 
all of that wrapped up in the love that we are commanded to show one another. But, but, there's one other characteristic of this love Jesus is commanding. And this is the key to the command. He's also commanding a very special, very special and very specific kind of love. It's a kind of love, notice the middle of verse 34. It's a love for one another. This is a special love that must exist between the apostles, broaden it out. It's a specific love towards other believers. He'll repeat it at the end of verse 34. You also love one another. Very special, very specific. Just like Jesus had a special love for his own. Look back at chapter 13, verse 1. He has a very special love for his own. Verse 1, Jesus loved his own. This is not a love for the world, for the unbeliever. He loved his own. And he loved them, he loved his own to the end, to perfection, to the cross. So too, because Jesus had a special love, we must have a special love. A special love for one another. Our love for each other, for fellow believers, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, in this church, our love should be stronger and weightier and more enduring than any love we have for an unbeliever. The special love. A special love that forgives when wronged and edifies when hurt and shows kindness when it is undeserved. A love that's tenderhearted, a love that's compassionate, patient. A love that restores back into fellowship where there's repentance and forgiveness. A love that carries burdens for others, for one another. The church of all the entities in this world the church is to be nothing less than a community characterized by enduring, giving, forgiving, selfless love. And this makes sense. This makes sense because love is what characterizes Jesus' relationship with his Father. John 14, verse 31 I love the Father. Love characterizes the father's relationship with his son. The father loves the son, John 3. Love characterizes the father's love for his people. God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love characterizes the spirit's love for us, the spirit's love. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts, Romans 5, through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Christ's love characterizes his relationship with us. He loved us to the end. And so why would we be characterized by anything else? Why would we be characterized by anything else for one another other than love? 
I think it's a question we need to answer, right? Why would something other than love characterize our relationship? Why does that happen? Well, a couple options. Maybe you just don't know that person. Well, turn it around. We also don't know you. <laughs> that's not a, it's not a reason. That's not an answer. It's not sufficient. The answer can't be a deficiency of Christ's love for us. That can't be an answer. The only reason why we would not love one another with a selfless, sacrificial, patient, humble, others-oriented kind of love, the only reason why we would not love one another in that way is because we do not cherish the breathtaking wonder of Christ's cross. It's the only reason. If there's a lack of love between other believers is because we think way too highly of ourselves. Every time we withhold love from a brother or sister in Christ, it is because we have forgotten Christ's gracious love for us. And we've decided to only give our love when we think someone deserves it. We do not cherish Christ's love. We do not cherish Christ's cross. But when we are humbled by Christ's cross, when we cherish Christ's sacrifice, when we are floored by Christ's grace, when he becomes both our model of our love and our measure of our love, love will permeate this church, permeate it. One commentator wrote this. Love among Christians must be the vanguard of all that we are about. Which means, which means, our love for each other must be based on nothing other than Christ's gospel. I'll say it again. Our love for one another must be based on nothing other than Christ's gospel, his cross. And that is just simply Jesus's words in verse 34, even as I have loved you. That's the measure. Our love for one another cannot be based on anything else because if it is, it will wax and it will wane and it will crack and it will crumble. Our love for each other cannot be based on similar interests or economic statuses cannot be based on similar ages or hobbies, cannot be based on similar political views or conservative policies, cannot be based on similar ethnicity or the color of our skin. And you can add a hundred more wrong foundations to love one another, a hundred more, a thousand more. But none of them None of them are the foundation of Christian love because all of them have ourself as the measure and the model and not Christ's cross or Christ's sacrifice. If I can be blunt for a moment, by the way, I'm taking my sabbatical tomorrow morning, so no emails because of this. 
Love based upon a faulty foundation is one reason, not the only reason, but it is one reason why evangelical churches across this country have seen losses and fissures. And you can include our church here. We're no exception. It is because our unity and our love for one another, unfortunately, in many cases, had been built upon a wrong foundation. A foundation that began to crumble from under us. COVID didn't cause cracks within the church. And the government didn't cause splits within God's family. And masks didn't rupture believers' unity. Our crossless love for one another did. Love one another as I have loved you. We can look back and see it. The question is, how are we going to move forward? What are we going to do about it? Are we going to take verse 34 to heart? We're going to love one another primarily, foundationally based upon Christ's love for us. Go back to verse 34. Just begin to understand the importance of the cross-centered love Jesus is calling for here, the importance of it. Understand this command and the flow of the farewell discourse. For one, Jesus' command for the church to love one another is because it is only when the church loves in the self-sacrificing, enduring, foundational way that the church will survive the hostility the world will bring against it. This is why Jesus begins with this command, verse 34, and then later on, chapter 15, verse 19, he says this, if you were of the world, the world would what? love its own. The world would love you. But because you are not of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Jesus knows what's in store. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Men, apostles, you need to love each other because the world will have no love for you. No love. They will hate you. You must love one another. But now look at verse 35. Here's the transition. Yes, we love one another because survival in a hostile world is a reason. But there's a second reason. Jesus emphasizes here. We're to love our fellow believers in Christ because the cross is the foundation of the church's mission. The cross is the foundation of the church's mission. It's the foundation of the church's unity, yes, yes, but don't keep it there. It's also the foundation of the church's mission. Let's put it this way. Cross-modeled, cross-measured love is the platform, think about it this way, the platform on which we proclaim Christ's gospel. Look at verse 35. By this, all men, this is now unbelievers, this is the world, 
By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You have all men, you have disciples. You have the world, you have believers. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By what, Jesus? Please tell me. I want to know. Tell me. How many Bibles I own? How many Christian books I've read? Maybe it's how many Bible studies I attend. It's like 12 a week. How much knowledge, maybe, I've collected throughout the years? By the way, none of these are wrong. Maybe it's how long I've been a Christian. Maybe it's how moral I am. They'll know because of my morality, maybe my political views. No, no, it's my apologetic credentials. It's that I can defend the existence of God. I can defend a literal seven-day creation. I can defend the reliability of the scriptures of the existence of Jesus. Maybe that's it. bring it into the love realm. Maybe the world will know that I'm Christ because of how much I love the world, how much love I show the secular community, how much involvement I have in maybe my local government, how much I do for my town, maybe how much I love, love I show an unbeliever. Maybe that's it. Is that it, Jesus? Jesus says No. What is it then? What is the distinguishing mark of a true Christian? What above everything else will set a true believer apart from the world? What will showcase the reality of the transforming power of Christ's cross? What is the greatest apologetic argument for the truthfulness of the gospel? What is the most convincing evidence that the gospel of Jesus is real and true? Jesus says, verse 35, if you have love, but it's not for the world. It will bubble over onto the world, but primarily it's not for the world. Jesus' strategy is all men will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for who? For one another. Look around. If you have a love for one another. Christian love is the greatest apologetic for the Christian gospel. Christian love is the greatest apologetic for the Christian gospel. And so again, let's bring application. Let's bring application. Are we effective in our gospel outreach in this community? Are we effective? Are you effective? Am I effective? Could the problem be not our outreach efforts, but could the problem maybe be a lack of love we have for one another? Could it be maybe rather than forgiving and serving, just to quote Paul here, we can expand this out, churches in general, rather than forgiving and serving, could it be we might be biting and devouring one another? Could that be? That's never happened at a church before, has it? Ever. It's only in Paul's day. That's the worst case scenario. Worst case. 
Maybe, it's not the worst case, maybe the problem is that we're too insulated. And other believers might see our love that we have for them, but the world doesn't. The world's not allowed in to see that. This is the wonder of the cross. When unbelievers, when unbelievers are able to see our love for each other, a love modeled after Christ's love for us, we become something unique in this world. We become something that has no worldly explanation or equivalence. We become a community of people from every walk of life with a diversity of skin colors falling into different age brackets, standing on different social rungs, having different backgrounds, spanning wide ranges of IQs, representing different occupations, and yet what holds us together? It's the bond of the spirit because of the cross of Christ. And the only explanation, the only explanation for that unity and for that love is because Christ first loved us. It's the only explanation that Christ loved us. He lived for us, died for us. He resurrected for us. He's coming back for us. He's reconciled us. That's what binds us together. And that is so unique in this world. Jesus says that kind of love, that kind of community, because it will be so different than anything in this world, it will be the most convincing, even more. It will be the most compelling evidence that Christ's gospel is true. This is one reason we are reinvigorating our neighborhood groups at EBC. It's not groups with drawn curtains, but groups that long to reach out to an unbelieving neighborhood, coworkers, friends, expanded out. Groups that gather together, fellowship, build that relationship and that love for one another and then have as a purpose to bear gospel witness. Here's the key, together, together. You're gonna hear more about this in the next few months. Mark Dever has written this. Our Christ-like love for one another is intended by God to be the church's most powerful tool of evangelism. The mutually loving relationships in the church are designed by God to be attractive to an unbelieving culture. The covenantal, careful, corporate, cross-cultural and cross-generational love that is to characterize the church and glorify God is at the same time intended to evangelize the world. And this is not only, I should say, this is not the only time Jesus connects our love for one another to our mission into the world. Look at John 17. In John 17, this will be Jesus' prayer that seals all of these promises and commands. 
And remember, Christ is about to send these men into a world divided by every prejudicial division you could think of. Sending them into a world not so much different than what we're experiencing today. And remember, he's sending them into the world as sheep amidst wolves. Look at verse 20, 17, 20. Here's Jesus' prayer. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Jesus is not only praying for his apostles, he is praying for EBC. But for those also who believe in me through their word, this is a prayer for us as well. The prayer is this, that they may all be one, unified. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Unified as Christ's followers here by a love relationship similar to the eternal love between the Son and the Father. That they also may be in us, share that same love together. But now watch the so that. So that the world may believe. It's evangelistic, it's outreach oriented. So that the world may believe. It's through our unity, it's through our love that the world believes the gospel that you sent me, repeated in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that purpose, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. When our unity is grounded upon the cross, when our love for one another is measured and modeled by the cross, we will offer this world the greatest apologetic that Christ's gospel is true and it is transforming. Tim Chester has written this. Often people dismiss intellectual arguments but they find it much harder to dismiss the compelling witness of the Christian community. It is easy for the world to ignore a solitary Christian living consistently as a believer. He or she can be dismissed as an eccentric. But when a diverse group of Christians lives for Christ as a community of love, demonstrating mutual affection then society will find it harder to dismiss us. Let's go back to the early 1900s, J.C. Ryle. Christ's cause in the earth would prosper far more than it does if this simple law was more honored. There is nothing that the world understands and values more than true love. The very men who cannot comprehend doctrine and know nothing of theology can appreciate love. It arrests their attention and makes them think. For the world's sake, if for no other cause, for the world's sake, let us follow after love more and more. These are the breathtaking wonders 
of Christ's cross. The cross is the greatest display of Trinitarian glory. The cross is the only sacrifice for sin God will accept, but don't keep it there. The cross is also the foundation of the church's unity and mission. Christ's cross is not something we learn about and then just simply move on from. It affects every part of our life, every part of our church. Father, I pray that you would bring great conviction to us that we would not be satisfied with where we are at, that we would not drop that bar low. No, that we would raise it all based upon Christ, our Savior, all based upon divine love for us, that we would model this love Lord, I pray for our church if there are any issues that need to be repented of, interpersonal issues. There are issues that we need to ask forgiveness for. Cause us to do that. That we look out and see burdens that we can bear, uh, bear for one another. Cause us to do that. Grant us patience that we would develop this love and in the process glorify you and then showcase the world the gospel that we love. Pray this all because of Christ. Amen.